Well, grab your Bibles, and we're going to spend most of the time together this morning in the book of Romans. And if you need a Bible, there's plenty at the back row. Richard will help you if you need one of those. You can get that, or with all the devices and so forth. I'm sure you've got one in your hand, even if you don't know it. But we do like people to bring their Bibles, just so that's a kind of a personal memento to you. It's somewhere where you meet God. And so as you do your devotions and you come to church, may that be source of inspiration and shaping for you. Well, as you know, we are baptizing new believers this morning, and so what we want to do is focus for a while on understanding exactly what's taking place. What is baptism and what is going on and why this ritual of going in water and coming out, right? And to the outsider, those that are not believers in Jesus, it might look like a little bit of an odd thing. It might look that it's a bit strange that people get together and they dip themselves in water as some sort of something happening, right? And so we're going to look into that today. But in order to get us there, I want to address the issue of identity. That word today, identity, is one that is kind of a hot-button word or a buzzword. It means a lot of things, right? And a lot of times, words are being used um, kind of in weird ways. So how do you know what a word means? A lot of times in our culture today, we understand a word and its meaning by the words that surround it, right? So um, if I say that hot dog was the bomb, that's a good hot dog. But that word bomb can mean a whole other thing in a whole other setting, right? Mean a whole other thing. And so this word identity, it's kind of difficult for us today. And all of us are, are kind of doing something today. We, we, we did it today without even really recognizing it. We did it when we got dressed. It's kind of the way this comes out a lot. We, we dress based upon how we identify, right? I mean, some people, they put on the three-piece suit and tie. They got the Armani digs all the way down, and they're identifying as someone with a whole lot of money, Right? A lot of people in here today in shorts and t-shirts, you're identifying with everybody that says it is hot out here today, and you just want to relax and come to church and enjoy the Lord. Awesome. Awesome. Some, we saw this morning, a young man had a Cubs shirt on. Well, he's identifying with his love for baseball, and he loves the Cubs. I have fun with socks, and I noticed that a sister, my neighbor from across the street, has fun with socks too, and we almost match. So we identify as the sock people because we just love fun socks. Well, that word today, something is being used, and I want to kind of reshape a little bit in your mind when you think about identity. Because when you talk about identity today, what you're doing is you're taking what is inside of you, and then you're projecting that out, and you're connecting with other people that you feel have the same thing going on. That could be any number of things. And a lot of times in the church, because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and you love Jesus, and you're a Christian, and you're a follower of Jesus, well, then it's natural for you to go and to look for other followers of Jesus, and to kind of get with them, and talk with them, and experience life with them, and that's called living in the, that Christian community. And some people, if they don't have Jesus living inside of them and they are not a follower of Jesus, then followers of Jesus are the last people on the face of the planet that they ever want to hang around or be with. 
We do things with political persuasion. We may identify with a certain political group or a a specific political platform, and then we look for people and we surround ourselves with the same political ideologies and opinions, and we vote all the same way. And so we're constantly looking within and understanding who we are and then looking for people to connect with that are like we are. Some people would call that in the political realm political or, excuse me, identity politics, right? And so in all of the different areas that we live our life, you would be expressing yourself based upon what's going on inside of you. Now, I kind of want to turn that around because as we go to the scriptures and if we tried to take that way of identifying and we understood what was going on inside of us and then we went to the scriptures to kind of look for space where um, we can kind of join up with God or we can kind of join up with certain segments of the Bible. Um, and the way we do that a lot of times in the church world, especially um, people that do what I do for a living to teach the Bible, we start to, uh, to align ourselves with certain theolo- theological teachers, certain systems of theology, certain denominations and preachers and teachers, and we kind of say, hey, I read this guy or I listen to this guy. And something weird that pastors do when they visit one another in their offices is they start to peruse their library. They start to look around and say, what is my friend reading? Oh, Lord, he's reading that. Ooh. Oh, that's, well, that's a good one. That's really... And we kind of do this. We're always looking within, looking without, and then aligning ourselves accordingly. But the Bible starts to get a little tricky when we start to do that and try to do that with the Scriptures. What happens is we realize that the Bible does it the other way around, as it does so many things in our life. Where the Bible says, if you look within you, what you're going to discover is brokenness. Hmm? Well, that's not what the world and our social structure is teaching us. Our social structure is teaching us and our culture is teaching us, look within inside you because that's where truth is. That's where goodness is. That's where your reality and your truth and your perception and everything that you think to be true, you look within, you find out what's true, and then you look for people to agree with you, and where they don't, you cancel them, right? Where they might say something opposite of what's going on inside of you, you dismiss them, you ignore them. But the Bible says if you look inside of you and you're really honest about what's going on, if you take an honest look in the mirror, you're going to see some trouble. You and I all, have thoughts flying through our brain that we go, I don't want that one in there anymore. You and I all have desires springing up with inside of us that we're never intended to act out. You know better than that. You you learned at a very young age, as a very young child, that everything that you spontaneously wanted to go out and do, you couldn't do. Or at least if you did it, you had to lie to mom and dad about it. You knew that instinctively, somehow. And so what the Bible calls us to is to look inside of us to admit our brokenness and then to look outside of us to our creator to understand truth, reality, and goodness. And from there then, we start to understand a relationship with God. That we realize that God is holy and we are not. We realize that God is perfect and we are not. We learn that God is infinite and we are finite. We know that He understands everything. We understand very little. He is all-powerful. We're very limited. And then we start understanding that everything that we really long for is not within us. 
everything that we really long for is actually in God. And then when we start to get to know this person, Jesus, as revealed in the Scriptures, we start to see that Jesus kind of does things that we all wish that we can do, that Jesus loves in ways that we wish we had the capacity to do, that Jesus speaks in wisdom in ways that we wish we had the wisdom to share with one another and specifically impart to our children and grandchildren. We start to find that everything that we think should be right about the world but is wrong, we find it to be right in God. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about baptism from this perspective, that when you come to become a follower of Jesus, that you are identifying with Him. You're saying, I'm with Jesus. And everything that He is, I want to become. And everything that He does, I want to grow into. The way He speaks in wisdom, the way that He loves, the way that He gives, what He calls good, what He calls sin, I'm going to call good and I'm going to call sin and I'm going to stand with Jesus. And the thing about baptism that you're going to notice as we work through the text this morning is that the symbol of going underwater is this death to self, is this death to the old way of living before we came to Jesus. It's this looking inside of us and saying, you know what, there's some things in here that, ah, no. There's some things in here that maybe you wouldn't like me if you knew we're going on in here. That if I acted out on every thought that came through my mind and every intent of my own heart, you would probably not like me and my marriage probably wouldn't survive and my children and grandchildren would lose all respect for me. And you know the same thing because those things go on within you. We're just being honest. But then we come to Jesus and we say, I realize that, but I want to identify with your death. And so as we go underwater in baptism, we're identifying and we're saying all these things that naturally come, again, come to me from within inside of me that I now find offensive and that I know are morally and spiritually wrong, I'm agreeing that those things need to die. I'm agreeing that the things and the ways that I used to live prior to coming to Jesus, I now need to put those things to death. And that when I come out of the water, I am being raised to newness of life. And I, my intent and my public proclamation is that I'm now going to walk in newness and identify with Jesus. And the life that he intends to bring my way and the things that he intends for me to be and to do and the person that he wants to work in, me into, I'm with him. I, I, I'm following Jesus. And baptism is a public proclamation of that decision to say that my old way of living is now behind me and my new way of living, I'm now stepping into that as I follow Jesus. I'm not quite sure how it's going to all work out, but he's going to work his power in me and start creating me and you into the people that we are always supposed to be. So we as Christian people no longer look to ourselves and say to ourselves, I'm going to look within I'm going to define my reality and my truth and my moral standings and my own identity based upon what I find in my own heart. Then I'm going to go out, look for like-minded people, and I'm going to surround myself with people that think like me, look like me, act like me, talk like me, eat the same food I do, and that's how I'm going to live my life. I'm just going to huddle up around people that have the same identity that I do. We're going to ditch that idea, and we're going to start walking with Jesus, and we're going to be reconnected to our Creator and we're going to become the people that we always intended to be. With this one overarching thought today, I want to work through a couple passages of Scripture. And the thought is this, and my desire for you this morning is this, that you would experience God's intended newness of life by identifying with Jesus' death and resurrection. That's my goal for you. That's what I'm praying as you leave here in just a few moments. 
that you would recommit yourself, whether you've been baptized or not, that you would recommit yourself or maybe even commit yourself to the first time to understanding that there's things going on inside of you that you, you know you can't really live out, but they're strong and they're powerful. And some people in the world are telling you, just live that out, just, just do that. If that's what you want to do, do it. But you know, you know that you can't. So what do you do? I'm inviting you to follow Jesus. The first thing that we understand as we start looking into a passage of Scripture found in the book of Romans in chapter 6. We understand by reading verse 4 that baptism is a public proclamation that we are uniting with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Read in your Bibles, please, Romans 6, 4, where it says this in the ESV translation. We were buried with him, therefore, by, <laughs> by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So that's the goal. And those that are getting baptized this morning are saying, I'm intending to walk in newness of life, that I came to Jesus one way, and I want to follow Jesus and become another way. And they're telling you that this morning, and many of you are here today because you've been invited by someone that is being baptized, and they really want you to know. <laughs> they really want you to know that they're serious about their relationship with Jesus to the point where they're going to make this public proclamation. As we identify with Jesus' death and resurrection, we start to experience this newness. Well, what is that? It's an interesting question to go around town and ask people, what, what is a Christian? Well, Christians are people that, you know, they don't do this and they do that and they go here and they don't go there. And it's about what they do and don't do. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But why do they do what they do or go where they go or don't do what they don't do and don't go where they don't go? Why, what is the deal with what, what appears to be just a, kind of an arbitrary list of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. Where, where, did, where did these come from and why would a Christian ever um, kind of surrender themselves to these, these kinds of things? As you read on in the book of Romans, in verses 5 and 6, you start to discover the answer. It says, For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be, done, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Because at some point when you look inward and you see yourself for who you really are, and there's a lot of good stuff in there, don't get me wrong. A lot of people that don't believe in Jesus are very charitable, very loving, very, very amazing. They're wise, they're intelligent, do a lot of great things. But I think also among everything that makes you wonderful and everything that would make you want to be together, there's some things, and we all realize that there's some things that are just kind of kind of rotten in there, right? And so what we do is we realize that we do not want any longer to be a slave to things that we know will destroy our lives. So many of you before coming to Jesus Christ, you had things in your life that were destroying you. They were, they were destroying your marriage. They were destroying your careers. They were, they were destroying your mental health. They were destroying your physical body and you were tired of being enslaved to those you were tired of believing lies that people told you about yourself, maybe based upon your worst day. But you came to the point where you're like, I'm tired of this and I no longer want to be trapped by the things that I know aren't good for me. But I also know that I live in a culture that's just telling me to live them out, but I know if I do, I'm going to destroy my life. 
And so we at the Church of the Nazarene, we believe in this thing called the doctrine of holiness, that we believe that as you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, that this power of the Holy Spirit so works in your life that will free you from your sin, that will free you from everything that will destroy you. And so I like to say around here that whatever you come here with that you don't think is helpful in your life, whatever you come here with that you can't seem to get over, I want to say Jesus wants to free you from that. That's the doctrine of holiness. You might look at it, oh, the doctrine of holiness is these list of rules and, and do's and don'ts. And for those of you that are a little bit older, you might remember a time in the Nazarene church when it was about don't go to the movies and don't wear, a, a, you know, women don't wear pants and all of this kind of stuff. And it's like wear dresses and no earrings and a holy Nazarene bun and the whole thing. And you're like, well, if that's what a Christian is, skip that and I'm with you. But it's about those things. As you come in your visit here today, I think Jesus would ask you a question. What's hurting you? What's keeping you from achieving the goals that you were supposed to achieve? What's keeping you from being the person that you know you should be? And as you start to talk to Jesus about those things, he says, I'm glad you agree with me. Let's get rid of those. I'm going to give you the power to do it. Because we look outward for the power, outward for the instruction, outward for the example and then he does that work within us as an example of those things we do have on the slide a couple of verses one found in galatians chapter 2 verse 20 where we understand this notion this way where paul writes again to another group of christians in another town when he says i have been crucified with christ and it is no longer i who live but christ lives in me and the life i live now in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me so the way i used to live i put to death and now I live for Jesus because he loves me. And I live by faith. In other words, that word faith means I've seen enough to trust. I don't know everything. I still have a lot of questions. But I've seen enough to trust. And we follow Jesus into our future. Another passage of scripture in the same book, a little cha few chapters later, Paul writes a similar idea in verse 14 of chapter 6 where he says, but, for, but, excuse me, but far be it from me, to boast about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So identifying with Jesus does two things according to Paul the Apostle. One, it causes you to look inward and say, I'm going to put to death all that is within me that I know is going to destroy my future and my life. And I'm also going to put to death the world's perspective that says I should live out the things that I feel and sense inside. And what we need to do in following Christ is to eliminate both those influences. No longer going to allow my old self to determine the direction of my life, and I'm no longer allowed to. Uh, I'm no longer going to allow the people that are telling me to just live out whatever's natural. I'm going to shut that perspective down too, and I'm going to focus on Jesus. And I'm going to focus on His Word and the movement of the Holy Spirit in my life. So back to Romans chapter 6, we start to discover a few more things about this newness of life issue. Newness of life is expressed in freedom from sin. Notice verse 7, for the one who dies has been set free from sin. Now this is a very interesting notion because sometimes when we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus and we think, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, that means I'm going to start following these rules. And it's going to, it feels kind of oppressive. And for years, Christianity was taught as this oppressive kind of religion. It was about the things that you don't do and you can't do. Well, you're Christian, you can't do that. Hey, if you were really Christian, you wouldn't have said that. And it became this kind of pressure situation. When Jesus is like, I'm not here to put pressure on you. I'm here to relieve pressure from you. 
I'm here to make you free from the things that are going to destroy your life. Not set a bigger burden on you. I'm here to set you free. And the idea of holiness is the idea of freedom. That all that stuff in your life where you're going, well, that's just me, sorry. I always have an attitude problem. Just put up with me, sorry. I always kind of get angry and irritated. Just you have to put up with me. Sorry I'm a touch lazy, but you just need to put up with me because it's just who I am. See, Christians no longer have that space where you just say, well, I'm just me. I'm just who I am. No, because you're not. You are you plus God. You are you plus the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life to empower you and give you freedom. So as a Christian, you can change. As a Christian, you do have the power dwelling within you in the person of the Holy Spirit to move past the things that are going to destroy your life. And that is a more clear picture of the biblical teaching of holiness. We also discover finally in Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 11, that newness of life is experienced eternally. So there is the temporal, there is the here, there's the now, but Christians aren't just sitting here in this kind of waiting room where we're saying, okay, I'm saved from my sins, every stupid thing that I've ever done in my life is now forgiven, and I'm set on this path that I'm just going to sit here and wallow in this kind of nasty place until I die or Jesus comes back, and Christianity becomes this kind of holding pattern where we really don't move forward, we're just waiting to go to heaven. Well, no, it's supposed to be lived out here in real time, in our lives, following Jesus, being effective in the world as followers of his. But we also have to understand that there is an eternal aspect to this. Following along in your Bibles, looking at verse 8, we read this. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. For the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Now this piece of being dead to sin has kind of a twofold working out in your life. You understand now that because sin is now dead in your life and you've reckoned that old man dead and now you are set free from the power of sin in your life, you are also free from the effect of the sin in your life. Meaning this, the Bible is clear that all throughout the scriptures God says that the, pro- the, pro- the production or the, what, what sin produces is death. We saw it in our first ancestors with Adam and Eve that they were never meant to experience death but upon sin death entered. And from Adam till Jesus, death reigned. But now that Jesus come, we experience freedom from our sin, which means we are now empowered to live above it, and we are empowered to say yes to God. We are empowered to say yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit and His Word. And not only that, but now the penalty of death has now been removed, so though our bodies die and go back to dust, we who are ourselves, really, the internal us, the spiritual us, goes on and it continues to experience life in Christ because death no longer is our penalty because Christ took that on. And so this idea of newness of life is about newness here and then a continuing on to there and the things that we live and the way that we do life here will affect there and the eternity and that we are investing in it though we're not sitting in a, in a, in a think tank, we're actually working it out here and investing in there and that's a big theological thing that we'll talk about another time. So what do we do with this? What's the personal challenge? What am I asking you to do? 
I believe that if you would take what I'm trying to convey to you this morning and apply it to your life, I believe that you will step up to the challenge this way. To experience this type of newness, you will reject the notion that the problem is outward and the solution is inward. You're going to reject that. That's what I'm asking you to do. Reject that the problem is out there and understand that the problem is in here. That's step one. In order to do that, what you're going to have to say to yourself every time you watch the news, every time you go on social media, every time you interact with anybody in public, you're going to have to withstand the temptation to join them in the blame game that it's everybody's fault and that your condition is based upon somebody else's thing. And because everybody else keeps messing up the world for you, you're just going to complain and you're going to put stickers on the gas pump that said Biden did this. And it's just the whole thing of blame, 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 and this and that and the other thing. I don't know what Biden has done or not done that causes me to pay so much of the gas price. Don't know. Maybe I have some ideas. Maybe I have some thoughts because I'm a thinking person. But that's not affecting the internal condition of my heart and my mind. It might affect my checkbook, but if do you still have those things? ATM card, maybe. Don't have a checkbook. Maybe we do. I don't know. My wife runs the finances. Who knows what we have in there? I should probably go find out. Anyway, I digress. But we're going to have to realize that the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. And we're going have to have to realize step two in this. For indeed, the problem is inward. It is sin. And the solution is outward. It's Jesus. So the world wants you to tell you, tell you, go inside for your truth. Go inside for your own personal narrative. Go inside for your own personal identity. Go inside for what you think should be morally correct. And blame everybody on the outside for not letting you do what you want to do on the inside. That's the culture. Jesus says, not so. Jesus says the problem is in our heart because our heart is wicked. Who can know it? And you, by looking into yourself, as one author said, you will only find a dark abyss. But when you look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, the originator and sustainer of life, you will begin to find solutions for the things that destroy your life. And that's the challenge. Reading one more passage of Scripture, or one, one more passage of Scripture and we'll quit. This one in Ephesians, I believe it's on the screen if I'm correct. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 16, Paul writing to another group in another city, says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant to you the strength and the power through His Spirit in your inner being. Did you catch the flow of that? That He would grant you power in your inner being. Not that you would look inside yourself and say, I'm just going to pick up myself by my bootstraps. I'm going to go inside and figure out what I need to live out. No, 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 no. That you would look outside of you and that He, as you bend your knee towards Him, will grant you, through His grace and mercy, the power to be transformed from the inside out. Mm -hmm.